Did you know that nearly nine out of 10 home buyers say they'd use a buyer's agent when purchasing a home again? Buyer representation really matters when there's 111 to-dos. Visit Realtor.com slash Buyer Agent Toolkit and spread the word. Buyer agents are essential. When we go over to Europe and, and Asia, uh, the United States has always been kind of a safe haven and, uh, and Canada as well. So the Americas have always been kind of a safe haven. And, and that really hasn't changed uh, much uh, during the pandemic. We still have the level of interest uh, from, uh, from European buyers, uh, whether it be a second home or a, 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 an investment property. We certainly still see, um, uh, especially in, in Canada, uh, the influx of, of, of Asian buyers, buyers from China specifically, uh, wanting to be here. What the pandemic has, has, has caused, though, of course, is the challenges of how do you make that happen? Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Tracy Velt, managing editor of Real Trends, interviews the brightest minds in real estate. Brokerage leaders, top agents, team leaders, and industry experts share their success secrets, trends, and lessons learned navigating this ever-changing industry. Today, I'm interviewing Anthony Hitt. He's CEO and president of Engel & Volkers Americas. And we talked a lot about global real estate. While obviously Engel & Volkers does domestic business as well, they're known for their global business. And they were a little concerned in the early days of the pandemic. They didn't know what that would mean for business. And it ended up being the best year ever for them as a brand globally. So we talk a lot about some trends in international business and where people are moving and what countries they're moving from. And it was just a really informative interview overall. So I hope you enjoy it. This is Tracy Velt, Managing Editor for Real Trends. Today, you'll be listening to an exclusive interview with Anthony Hitt, CEO and President of Engel & Volkers Americas. Prior to joining Engel & Volkers in 2014, Anthony worked with Sotheby's International Realty in Los Angeles for eight years and closed approximately 400 real estate sales transactions amounting to nearly half a billion dollars. He has authored several books to share his advice for success in business and in life, including The Essentials of Personal Achievement, Taking Charge, and Positive Impressions. So welcome, Anthony. Thanks for joining Real Trending. Tracy, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so I want to kind of talk a little bit about global real estate. Uh, I know some things have changed with the pandemic, and um, I know here in Florida, we're seeing a little bit of a, an increase in, in buyers coming. But first, I want to talk to you as a brokerage firm. Um, you obviously have a focus on global real estate. So tell me a little bit about your how your franchise has fared through the first half of the pandemic. Um, you know, I, I think like everyone, we were we were concerned in the early days of the pandemic as what this was going to mean for us in, in this business, uh, not only here in the Americas, but globally. We certainly heard the stories. Uh, you know, uh, just tragic stories coming out of Italy and, and Spain and other parts of, of Europe. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, like like many, Angle Bokers Americas had our best year ever in 2020. And as a brand globally, we also had our best year ever. As a matter of fact, uh, overall revenues were up 14% in 2022. Uh, globally, here in the Americas, we had an amazing uh, increase of almost 40%, 38.4% in business. So it was actually a very good year for us. And, and some of our shops uh, in Florida, I know where you're located, our 30A Beaches shop in Florida, you know, it, it increased our business 72% year over year. And we used to have numbers like that in 
in Idaho and Montana and and in Colorado uh, and Wyoming. So it's 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 that was it actually turned out to be a really a good year for real estate because I think as we've all learned is real estate is essential. Um, and uh, and a lot of people uh, really looked at the priorities when it came to their homes in 2020 and their living space and and, and a lot of them now their working space and how they would operate. So. Uh, uh, for the most part, it was a it was a very very good year globally for Angle and Poker. Certainly a good year here in the Americas, and uh, and from a real estate perspective, you know prices uh, stayed pretty uh, pretty pretty positive in, in almost all of those markets, uh, whether that be uh, Paris or Rome or, or Hamburg, where our company is globally located, uh, but uh, also here in the Americas, we know the prices continue to uh, to go up. So I want to talk to you about um, the types of buyers. Now, you don't, you obviously have a global focus, but you also work with domestic buyers. Um, so what are some of the things you're seeing? What countries seem to be active in investing in real estate in the United States? And where are you seeing the most movement state to state? Um, it's an interesting, uh, and you're right. I, I think when people think of Angle and Folkers, they think of a luxury brand. They immediately think of the fact that we are a global brand, um, uh, or that maybe we only work exclusively with uh, with global buyers. Uh, and why we certainly specialize in working with people who are moving, uh, you know, uh, whether it be across the state or across the street or across the globe. Uh, you know, we uh, we certainly work with all types of uh, of clientele. Uh, when it looks at when we look at the global business, though, um, what's interesting to me in the Americas is, is you know, we've always seen the impact coming from Canada. A lot of Canadians are interested in the U.S. What we have found over the last couple of years is a lot of you, uh, Americans are interested in the uh, in Canada. And so we've seen uh, you know, both the, the give and, and take there. When we go over to Europe and, and Asia, uh, the United States has always been kind of a safe haven and, uh, and Canada as well. So the Americas have always been kind of a safe haven. And, and that really hasn't changed uh, much uh, during the pandemic. We still have the level of interest uh, from uh, from European buyers, uh, whether it be a second home or a, 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 an investment property, we certainly still see, um, uh, especially in, in Canada, uh, the influx of, of of Asian buyers, buyers from China specifically, uh, wanting to be here. What the pandemic has, has has caused, though, of course, is the challenges of how do you make that happen. So uh, while we uh, while we've seen a trend for for less um, European or excuse me international buyers over the last year. Uh, there's a pent-up demand there that I think, as the as the as the restrictions uh, are decreased, that we're going to see a, a really an influx of those buyers. Uh, but it hasn't stopped completely. I mean, there still have been those buyers. But I would say it really hasn't changed during the pandemic. You still have that uh, that, that group of Europeans and Asian uh, markets who want to be in the U.S. and Canada. Yeah, I mean, I think the United States is still a good, safe investment for them. And um, when they're looking to get money out of their country, they're still investing it in the United States, whether there's a pandemic or not. So With, is, without question, it's just yeah. uh, you know, with all of the, uh, uh, the trials and tribulations we have with some of the social unrest and the government unrest and all of that, it still is a great alternative to a lot of other places on the planet. And, and I think that's why we continually see a lot of uh, global buyers looking at uh, at the Americas. Now, do you see any trends in, in different states? I mean, Florida, California, they've always been attracted um, buyers from Latin America, Canada, other, you know, China, other countries. Do you see kind of a different type of investor or buyer coming into different states than usual? I, I would say what we've seen in the uh, let's call it the, uh, the the usual suspects or the places, whether it be uh, the West Coast, uh, Vancouver, Los Angeles, San Francisco, 
or uh, as you mentioned, uh, the Northeast, uh, New York, Boston, or Florida, of course, you know, we, we still see, uh, I think, the same level of interest when it comes to the, uh, the European buyers and the Asian buyers, or as you mentioned, uh, the, the buyers coming uh, from, from South America and Central America. Um, what I find, uh, what I'm seeing different, I guess, over the last couple of years, and, uh, and I think we're gonna see this as the, uh, the pent-up demand is, is kind of released again, is uh, as, the, as the globe gets smaller, as, uh, as brands like Angle & Folkers do a really good job of communicating what other options there are, and people understand markets like Austin, Texas. Uh, when you look at markets like Minneapolis, um, again, markets that we don't first uh, think of as international uh, marketplaces, we're seeing a lot more interest. If you look at the number of international flights going into, let's say, Austin, Texas, uh, or going into Minneapolis, or going into Atlanta, Georgia, you know, these are all becoming very, very popular markets for, for global buyers now as well. So it's not just the coastal areas uh, that we've seen in the past. It's also the uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, other areas that I think uh, um, global buyers are starting to wake up and say, wait a minute, this is interesting. This is what I've, what I think I really was looking like when I was thinking of the American dream. Okay, great. And what about um, investors, maybe not necessarily second home investors, but those coming over on maybe an EB-5 um, visa starting companies here, what are you seeing um, trends that way? Same same trend. It's it's where are you know, where are the uh, the business opportunities? Again, a lot of that might be wrapped around tech in some fashion. And again, we've typically thought of uh, you know Silicon Valley as the as the tech capital, or we think of uh, you know the the major metros. And while that's still uh, completely true, again, you have those other markets uh, like Austin, again, uh, Seattle, again. These are all markets now that are very very popular. Uh, for uh, for anyone who's investing in starting a new business, especially those that are tech-centered. And I think what we've seen during this, what I call the COVID shuffle, uh, is just, a, uh, we've just expedited what was already happening even before the pandemic, is companies were realizing that they didn't have to be located in those uh, in those metropolitan areas or those typical tech or health hubs uh, to, to do what they're doing. And so they're looking at some of the lifestyles that they can provide their employees um, and again, a lot of times that's coming from markets that were not previously being considered when, uh, when, uh, when opening up or, or investing in a new business. So again, whether it's an investor or somebody looking for the second home or somebody looking to relocate uh, to the Americas, it, it's not just the coastal communities. Uh, what's interesting to me is I think, uh, even though I think uh, the NAR data might uh, uh, contradict me a little bit, I think we're actually seeing an increase in that, in that global activity. Uh, and I'm expecting we'll see more of that. Um, as we go forward, because I, I think it, uh, it it is all of the above, and I don't know that it's decreasing uh, in, in any uh, uh, enormous rate on those coastal areas, but I definitely see it increasing a lot in those other uh, markets that, again, we typically didn't think about. Okay, great. I want to shift a little bit and talk about um, buyers who are coming from other countries, maybe to relocate a business or buy a second home. Um, there during the pandemic, they had to do a lot of that virtually. So talk to me a little bit about what percentage of your global business is done completely virtually uh, and what new types of technology or old types of technology have you really had to employ and bring across the brand? We were very fortunate. And, uh, and uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, as a global brand, We've uh, invested in technology since the very, very beginning. We were some of the first uh, real estate shops in, uh, in, in Germany and, and Europe to have computers on every desk you know, 20 years ago. 
Uh, that being said, we have uh, you know, a partnership with Google where we have Google Workplace, which includes the Google Meet system, which is a Zoom type system. Uh, and we had that already uh, uh, implemented globally uh, before the pandemic. We were already using it for meetings and, and showings, especially with uh, global clients, uh, even before this happened. So the, the fact of the matter is, uh, our adoption rates were, 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 were fine, but adoption shot through the roof, of course, during the pandemic. Uh, it was nice that we didn't have to scramble to find a solution. We already had the solution. That being said, we, uh, we, we've seen more of a, an open-mindedness, um, uh, not only uh, with the global clients, but also our domestic clients, to uh, doing a viewing where they, we would walk them through with a, with a camera and, and a narration and, and, uh, and, and show them a property inside, outside, uh, go through an inspection process, uh, doing that same thing with that type of technology. Um, and then, of course, all of the digital aspects of actually closing a transaction uh, have been things that we've used. Again, we've, we've been using them for years. But again, if, you, if your client wants to buy and they want to buy now, if they think there's the opportunity uh, and they're not able to be here, then, then you're going to have to employ these things. And for the most part, uh, they're all working, working quite well. It's, it's really been more of a uh, I think uh, just uh, I think what we've discovered is the consumer's mindset and uh, and a lot of our advisors' mindsets um, were probably more positive and 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 forward thinking than we realized. Uh, I I think the consumer one is probably the one that was most surprising to us. I think there's been a belief that consumers didn't want to do it this way, and mm-hmm. when they were forced to do it, I think they uh, they they not only liked it and appreciated it, and that's why I think some of those habits will continue even after the. The, uh, the restrictions that require us to do that right now. But yeah, whether it be mobile or remote notarization, whether it be the showings, uh, all the digital aspects of the transaction have been employed on a regular basis. And again, in most cases, uh, I don't have a number to tell you that it's you know 20% of our international buyers or 70% of our international buyers, but I would have to make the assumption that it's a very, very high majority uh, just based on the fact that you know many cannot and could not travel uh, into the uh, the U.S. or Canada over the last 12 months. Yeah. But, but transactions are still taking place. Yeah, that's great. And we'll talk about remote notarization in a little bit. I first want to, um, you know, find out from you, what have you seen in as far as creative ways that brokers are really um, helping their agents reach global buyers and investors? Or what strategies would you recommend to brokers who are trying to reach that market and help their agents reach those markets? Um this is going to seem like the most obvious, but for some reason uh, in this business, we don't always go to the obvious first. We look for the more complicated answer. Um, you know, I would start in, in your market is knowing who is coming to your market and where are people who are leaving your market going to. Uh, I think uh, NAR has some great research for a lot of markets to tell you exactly what that looks like. Uh, but the next place I would go is to your local airports and find out where the flight's going to and where are they coming from, especially those nonstop flights. Uh, with that, you need to know the market that your clients are coming from. And, uh, and in most cases, you can narrow it down to maybe four or five different markets. And what a great opportunity to schedule your next trip or your next vacation uh, to that market and, and go there and get to know someone. Uh, if you're fortunate enough to be with Engelin Volkers and, and have an Engelin Volkers shop on the other end, I highly recommend that you go into your, your, uh, your, your brand's uh, location in that area and get to know the people in that shop ask them questions, give them answers about how our market works, um, because that that knowledge is going to give you the confidence when you know what people are used to in doing a real estate transaction in that market. You know how to better serve them in this market. Uh, it, it, this is a referral business, that collaboration overseas 
uh, or over state lines or country lines uh, is extremely important. But I would go with a very obvious, know where there is, go there, get to know there, make contacts there, and then uh, and then start referring business back and forth and uh, and then specialize. Because usually when there's one, there's 10. And when there's 10, there's 100. Yeah, and I've heard of some brokers who are, um, you know, paying for their agents who want to work with global buyers and investors to go through like the SIPs, the, the Certified International Property Specialist course. Um, are there any other uh, groups or courses or anything that you suggest mainly for brokers or ideas that brokers can have a special program for their agents to do those things? I, I would think at Annual Brokers, we have a variety of programs that we built uh, specifically for our network. But I do believe that the CIPS program is, is, is first class. It's one that we recommend uh, all of our private office advisors. That's our highest echelon working with uh, uh, uber wealthy clients. We require that all of them complete the CIPS training because we think it's just such a, a, an impressive uh, training program. Uh, but from there, I would look to your brands. I believe most of the, the bland, brands that call themselves global you know, have some sort of, uh, uh, of an infrastructure in place to help do. Again, I, I believe they, the old concept of like an exchange student, uh, but, but finding that relationship on the other end, someone that you can speak to uh, openly and honestly and ask uh, you know, questions that may seem silly in the beginning. Uh, you know, that's really the best way to go. I, I think CIPS is a good idea to give you an understanding of culture. Um, and uh, and how business is conducted, but from there it really is uh, immersing yourself in that in that culture and understanding how how things operate. I don't think there's any magic pills there. Yeah, uh, I do believe that. I think that with the book, uh, uh, the kiss bow and shake hands. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh, I just completely went blank on that one. But I, yeah. I I do think that's a very good starting place for most people who are looking at uh, after you know where that there is. Uh, you know, read the, the the right books about those different cultures. Because what I have found is it's usually, um, uh, there's nothing nefarious, but things do go wrong. And usually where it goes wrong is a miscommunication or, or worse yet, it's usually based on an assumption that business is conducted the same there as it is here. And that's not always the case. Why we all, as Christian Volker says, we all cook with water. Uh, there is a buyer, there is a seller, there is a transaction. From there, things do get a little bit different, a little bit nuanced. And if you know those nuances, you're going to increase your, your client's confidence when you can say, I know where you're from, they do it this way. However, in this market, this is how we do it. And you can, and you can manage those expectations and create confidence in that relationship. So uh, you know, that would be one of my first pieces is, is, uh, is the, the series of the CIPS, look to your brand for those resources, travel to those locations if you can, or at least get to know, find a pen pal, of, uh, yeah. a digital pen pal in today's world. Uh, to get to know and really understand the market. Okay, great. Um, I wanted to go back to remote notarization. So I interviewed a, an attorney uh, who specializes in international transactions about a month ago. And I really thought, okay, well, you know, I know there are issues with remote notarization, but I thought it would be perfect for global transactions. But of what I'm finding is that it is not um, because you have to have a federal ID from the United States in order to close it remotely. Otherwise, you have to be there in person. So what are you using? How are you handling this? Are you doing any closings remotely? Or are do you have are you generally um, you know doing it in person? Um, when possible, uh, obviously in person is still the best solution and still the easiest solution. Uh, re- remote notaries, it really depends on on, on the country. 
uh, that you're coming from. Rules are always going to be different. There are there are differences in, in, in all cases. Um, and, and in some cases, it can work quite well. In some cases, if you don't have a, a, a U.S. ID, uh, you're able to use a U.S. citizen as a witness um, and confirm with an international passport. Uh, but again, there in every in every place there's differences, and uh, and uh, it it certainly has created some frustration on one side. And I think it will get better because we've learned a lot over the last 12 months uh, in a in a forced situation. But uh, at the same point, I think we've also realized it can be done. And uh, if you've got a client that wants to make it happen, and if you have an advisor, an agent um, who is uh, uh, has the right context, perhaps the attorney you're speaking of, uh, you know things. You can make it happen, but yeah, there are there are a lot of challenges wrapped around the idea. It's not as simple as we think of with the uh, you know the DocuSign or the digital signatures that we use all the time that are very very simple and also very uh, everybody's becoming very familiar with. Everyone accepts it as a as a legal signature for the most part. Uh, that's not the case with the remote notaries uh, at this point in time. Yeah, and I've heard that some of the service providers, uh, each one of them accepts different types as well. So while some of them might be able to let you have a citizen who can witness, others will not. Um, so it's a matter of finding the right service provider as well. It, it's, it's kind of that chicken and egg. If you have to have a federal ID um, uh, you know, to, to, and you either need to be here or go to a, a local embassy uh, there, you, you find yourself in those types of transactions definitely working with, with uh, local embassies a lot uh, and trying to find out what the right solution is. And what we find, especially with some countries, is just because you made it work this time with that provider in that place doesn't mean it's going to work exactly the same way next time with the same provider in the same country. And uh, and that is where there is a, a, a lot of, um, uh, there's certainly a lot that can be done to improve that process. But we've seen that with digital signatures. I remember when I first started using digital signatures, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, you know, certain states were still not allowing it. Uh, certain uh, uh, brands were not allowing it on the purchase contracts. So, I mean, we went through that same step. And uh, as it became more obvious that, uh, that that is how people wanted to conduct business, it became better. And I would hope over time we might see that. But again, it's still going to vary based on the country. Yeah. Uh, some countries are still way, way, way behind in, uh, in how these processes work. And it's not on their highest priority list of helping people buy and sell properties yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. Well, we talked a little bit about geographic trends, um, you know, in the United States, where they're possibly coming to that's different from the coasts. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about other types of trends with um, global investors coming into the United States, as far as what, um, you know, are there things happening in certain countries that we're finding you're getting an influx of buyers from that country? Are there emerging countries um, where buyers are are coming to the United States more frequently than they used to? Um, you know, what about China? What What is going on with Chinese investment? So talk to me a little bit about that. We've uh, we've certainly, uh, you know, for years, there's been uh, a, a, an influx of, of buyers coming in from China. Um, uh, especially, frankly, into, into Canada. We've seen a lot more impact in Canada. Now, Canada has uh, uh, implemented a, a foreign buyer's tax, uh, which uh, has changed that a little bit. Um, really, what it did is it pulled a lot of the buyers that were moving to the West Coast uh, to, uh, to BC and, and pushed them to the East Coast to Quebec uh, because those rules uh, have not been uh, uniform across the uh, uh, country of Canada. 
Uh, that is changing. We're, we're seeing some, some trends based around that. In, in the U.S., uh, I think it's, uh, again, the pandemic really hasn't changed, which has been interesting over the last couple of years because of a lot of the, the, uh, the unrest and the publicity of the unrest in the United States, uh, socially, politically. Um, you know, we've, we've definitely seen some of the confidence um, in whether or not the U.S. is as safe to, uh, to own, um, whether economically or, or just your personal safety, depending on where you're coming from has had uh, an impact. And I think that's where the NAR report was talking about some of the trends maybe decreasing on some international buyers who have looked at this as being uh, you know, a safe haven for many reasons, not just financially. So uh, you know, the, the, the fact is that I don't think we're seeing a, a, a real shift in where people are coming from. They're still coming from South America. They're still coming from Asia. Um, uh, and a lot of times they are looking for a, a safe haven to Further investments or a, a place to uh, to get away to in, in some fashion, and I don't think that trend is going to to slow down uh, much more than it probably did over the last few years. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I think uh, based on some of the latest reports I've seen, um, uh, confidence is actually increasing once again in the U.S. as being a, a destination that people want to own, uh, and and Canada, of course, has, has remained solid the whole time. Yeah. Now, what about um, what can you do as a broker to kind of get the message across that, yeah, you're hearing a lot of this news and you're reading social media, but here are the facts about what's going on in my area. Um, you know, what are what are some suggestions you have for that? Um, know the facts first. And I think this is where we have uh, we have some challenges. Um, uh, facts is a word that we've kind of lost uh, 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 touch with over the last couple of years. So if, if you are a broker, if you are a, a, an agent, uh, first, make sure you do know the real facts. Uh, check your own sources. Uh, get multiple sources. All of the things that a journalist, we always talk your journalism from high school. You know, Do the things that you should do to make sure you know your facts. Because uh, real estate is a local business. And, and even though there might be some national facts the reality uh, is that very rarely is the uh, the national the story exactly in your area. So know the facts first, and then promote, promote, promote. Dilute the negative, uh, dilute the the non factual information or the sensational information with with facts. And you do that obviously. Social media is a very popular source for information. Uh, but you know the old fashioned market report. Uh, is still probably one of the best tools that any broker or can provide for their advisors or any advisor can provide for their clients. And take the time uh, to, to create a really good market report, show the data, show the trends. And then what? while the data might be out there in a lot of different forms, even companies like Real Trends provides a lot of great data. But now what the consumer wants is you to add your local interpretation of that data. What's your expertise show you that that data means in your area? And uh, so, so know it first, Double check it and then communicate it, communicate it, communicate it. If you're a broker, communicate it with your, your market, communicate it with your advisors. If you're an advisor, communicate it with the, the public. Use all the mediums that you have available to you to get the, the facts out there and, uh, and dilute the, 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 the non-facts or the questionable facts or just the sensational facts, which may be that something bad happened someplace. Uh, there's a lot of good things that are happening in a lot of these markets. There's a reason why people are buying in these markets. Make sure you know what they are so you can tell to other people who are trying to consider whether they want to be in your market or another market. Yeah, because I see a lot of lifestyle, especially living here in Florida, like, oh, come for the beaches. But it doesn't really provide a snapshot of 
what is what is happening in your area to to entice them to come other than hey we've got great beaches right so yeah and there's more to florida than great beaches and there's also more to florida than a lot of times what we would see in the media people right. make assumptions i mean one thing i think we all noticed from this election and i don't want to go political here is this is a purple country this is not a red country or a blue country and it's and and florida is not a red state or a blue state or any others for that matter and uh, and and sometimes we we pick up on that sensational piece, and so everybody makes the assumption that a market is one thing or another, and it's not usually that. And there's pockets in every place that you know lean. So make sure you you know your own facts, and that you don't push someone else's facts or someone else's agenda, which a lot of times is to get eyeballs. Yours is to get buyers in homes and, uh, and sellers' homes sold, and uh, and make sure that you know those facts and can and that you can articulate those facts. Uh, to people who want to know. Great. Well, um, is there anything, those were all the questions I had, but were there, was there anything we didn't talk about that you think is really important for um, other brokers and broker owners and team leaders to know about the global market? Um, I, I'll just tell you one thing that I found interesting, and, I, and I'm not sure really how this translates out to, to, uh, to, to your listeners yet, um, but typically, I can look at the Americas and I can see pockets of something happening. This is happening on the East Coast, this is the West Coast, this in Canada, this in Mexico. Um, this is happening in France or Italy or whatever the case would be. Rarely is everyone in a very, very, very similar situation where there's low inventory across the market. There's high demand across the globe. There's high um, demand across the globe. Um, you know, this is a very unique time, I think, in real estate. And, uh, and I think we're going to see a lot of things come out of that. This, this COVID shuffle, as I call it, where a lot of people have moved from the metros, uh, maybe temporarily, uh, and, and, and increased their, uh, their vacation home or their out-of-the-city home. Uh, I think that's a, a trend that's probably not going to end with the pandemic uh, ending. Uh, I also believe that cities should not be counted out. I think uh, New York City, San Francisco's, uh, Paris's of the world are going to come back probably bigger and better, maybe different, over the years. And, uh, and so I, I think it's just, it's something that's very interesting. I think there's a lot of people who care about it. And I think if you're in this business as a broker, as, a, as an agent, uh, or as anyone else who's providing service, you need to be looking at all of that yourself, listening to podcasts like this one, and learning so you can articulate all of this information. Because I do think what we know is our clients are going to be wanting even more from us. They're going to be demanding us to have the intelligence uh, that comes with with hard work, in all honesty. Yeah. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for all of your insight. Um, it was really interesting. I learned some new things about the global market as well. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to Real Trends. Thanks for inviting me. We'll do it again soon, I hope. Yes, absolutely. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. For more insightful interviews with real estate executives, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more.